Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Okay, so today is the last message in our series, Afterlife. And, and, and we've talked about this idea that one minute after you die, you're going to be one of two things. You're going to be elated or horrified. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be elated. You're going to be with your Heavenly Father in heaven. If not, if he's not your Lord and Savior, for those who haven't received Jesus, they're going to be horrified because they just realize they didn't make the most important decision of their life and give their life to Christ where they will now spend eternity in hell. And we're talking about this because uh, uh, for a couple different reasons, the afterlife and what happens after we die because there's confusion about the topic, misunderstanding, misinformation, even in Christian circles. But the second reason we're talking about this is because what you believe about eternity determines and dictates how you live today. It affects and dictates the decisions that you make today. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to wrap up our series by a- answering some of the more common questions that people have. So today's like really a Q&A. You're going to ask questions. I already chose your questions so you don't get to ask them out loud. Um, <laughs> um, so I just, uh, disclaimer, if you're like brand new, this is not a normal sermon today. It's like a Q&A. I'm just running through a bunch of these. Um, and, and let me also say this is as we look at some of these, some of them are going to be silly questions to some of you. But to others, they're serious questions, and they're questions that people have. So some of them you'll dismiss. Some of them you're like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that. And again, because I'm going through a bunch of them, I'm just going to touch on them briefly. You'll have to do more study if any of them, like, grab you and like, hey, I want to dig into that more. And I would encourage you to do that uh, beyond our message today. Now, before I dive in, a couple disclaimers uh, before we dive in. First of all, at LifePoint, we absolutely believe the Bible is God's word to us. And, and it, is the author- it is God's authoritative word to us. And so where Scripture speaks, that's our first and primary place we go and look. In this message, as is always the case with every message we do. Secondly, if the Bible isn't clear, we're going to look for some um, principles that are in Scripture that we might be able to apply to the question or the topic, as is always the case. And then thirdly, if the Bible isn't clear and we can't figure out any principles, I'll just say, hey, I'm guessing here. Here's an opinion. Um, I'm not sure, but here's a possibility. So um, that's kind of how we approach it. I'd even encourage you to approach that on any topic um, as you're thinking about your life, that you have that same approach. All right, so let's dive in, and we just let's dive in and talk about one of the most controversial topics of all. Many people want to know: Will our pets go to heaven? A couple weeks ago, on June eighth, it was National Best Friends Day, and I was I was watching TV, and there was this news piece, and it was very interesting to me. There was a survey that was done, and it said that nineteen percent of Americans say their dog is their best friend. And 9% of Americans say their cat is their best friend. And I got to tell you, those statistics were alarming to me, disturbing. That 28% of Americans say that an animal is their best friend rather than a human being. And I just, that, that was a little bit disturbing to me. So I understand this question actually matters to, you know, 28, 29% of the people. Do our pets go to heaven? Well, the answer depends on what pets. Because when we're talking cats, there's no way in the world they're going. God's not having ant pets and cats wandering heaven. (laughs) The reality is, 
Scripture doesn't say whether or not our pets go to heaven. But I want to ask you just a couple questions to consider if this is a topic that matters to you. If you think your pets go to heaven, genuinely, I'm curious, what's your criteria for making the cut? No, really. Like, if, if there's a heaven for pets, is there also a hell for pets? And, and if they, don't, they can't believe in Jesus, so do the good ones go to heaven, but the bad ones go to hell? Like, if your dog doesn't pee in the house, it can go to heaven, but if it pees in the house, it can't go to heaven. Or what about this? Do pets of Christian owners go to heaven, but pets of non-Christian owners... What about this? Do certain pets go to heaven, like, you know, dogs and cats and cute bunnies and, you know, animals like that, and maybe like, you know, tarantulas and snakes, those pets, they don't? Are you seeing where I'm going with this? Kind of getting the flavor? But here's what we know. We know that God created us, you and I, in his own image. That God breathed spiritual life into you and I. But God did not create animals in his own image. Nor did God breathe spiritual life into animals. Next, we know that according to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And as far as I can tell, animals don't call on the name of Jesus. Also, as we look at Scripture, we see that Jesus died for people. And nowhere in Scripture does it indicate that Jesus died for our pets. I do think it's interesting, though, that the Bible does mention it appears as if perhaps some animals will be in heaven. Isaiah chapter 11 prophesied and said, In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. Revelation chapter 19 tells us that Jesus and his armies, his heavenly armies, will return on white horses. Sadly, at least as far as I can tell, we don't see any evidence in Scripture that our pets will be with us in heaven. There's another question that some people wonder about, and it's the question, can Christians be cremated? Can Christians be cremated? In ancient times, uh, pagans, they would cremate the bodies of those who died. And so the Israelites and later the Christians, because they, did, they wanted to separate, separate themselves from pagan activities, they buried bodies rather than cremating them. I always told Heather, don't ever have me created, uh, cremated. How am I ever going to resurrect in the last days? And that's something that's been an ongoing topic in our family for 30 years. She's like, because I joke around a lot, and she's like, are you serious? And I, this is a joke I've been carrying for 30 years. So next service, she's going to learn for the first time. No, she learned it about a couple months ago. We finally, like, after 30 years, I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, I'm getting closer, so maybe I should tell you the truth. But, but anyway. <laughs> you see, the real question actually is, can God restore a cremated body at the resurrection? Well, what do we know? Well, we know throughout the centuries Christian martyrs have been burned at the stake, right? To the point of being dust and ashes. We know in war, bodies can be incredibly disfigured, even blown, to, you know, here's an old term, uh, to smithereens. And of course, we know that decomposed, or bodies decomposed if they're buried. And Genesis chapter 3, what does it say? It says, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the question of burial or cremation 
dust by burial or dust by cremation. It's all in the realm of Christian freedom. What we do know is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that we aren't just spirits, but that God is going to resurrect us and that we will have, the Bible says, glorified bodies just like Jesus did after he was resurrected. And when he came back and he was resurrected and he was with his disciples, he said this in Luke chapter 24. He said to his disciples, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you plainly see that I have. There's going to be this continuity, um, but there's going to be a difference. Even Jesus, after he was with his disciples, he ate fish with them. So it's going to be this glorified body that we're going to see, a resurrected, glorified body that God's going to give to us, whether we're buried or cremated. Now, next question that some people have, will, uh, will Christians, will we be able to be married in heaven and, and will we be able to have sex in heaven? And as much as I would love to be uh, married, to heaven for, or married to Heather for all of eternity, Scripture just says something different. Matthew 22, verse 30, Jesus said this at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in married marriage. So just practically speaking, think about this. Wouldn't it get a little bit complicated if you had multiple marriages for whatever reason? I mean, would it be one of those things where you get to choose, like, okay, I like this one better than this one? God knew the nightmare that would create, right? So he's like, I'm not going there. Though there won't be marriage in heaven, as Scripture clearly says, Scripture indicates there's going to be some relational connections that still exist with those we know. So I'm just putting in now, God, if I can, like, have Heather, like, as my roommate or, you know, my next-door neighbor, God, just throwing it out there. So will we have sex in heaven? Well, since there's no marriage in heaven... And since God created sex to solely happen in the context of marriage, I think it's safe to assume that there's no sex in heaven. So, sorry, gang. Next question that people ask and get curious about. Can we or should we try to contact the dead? Should we try to contact those who are in heaven? It reminds me of a song from the movie, who are you going to call when you're all alone? Pick up the phone and call. All right, all right. Can we or should we try to contact the dead? This question actually raises more questions, and there's subcategories. For example, what about seances? What about Ouija boards? Maybe as a kid that's something you did or tried. Is that innocent fun? Is that something you can have your kids do, or is it dangerous? Witchcraft, is it popular today? Is it so okay for someone just to read a little book and cast spells? Is that all just innocent enough? What about someone reading your palms? Or what about spending 10 bucks a minute to call up some, uh, you know, mademoiselle or something and have her tell you where you lost your whatever? Is that all innocent? Or is it dangerous? In Deuteronomy, God was very clear about this when he told the Israelites Starting in chapter 18, verse 9, he says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. So what were those? Starting in verse 10. For example, 
never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let the people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone who does these things is detestable. Say detestable. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Another translation says those are an abomination to the Lord. You see, God tells us that those aren't cute. Those aren't just innocent. They're incredibly dangerous, and God tells us those are something that we never do, that we never get involved in. But the question really is why? Why does God tell you and I, don't get involved with this, don't practice this, stay away from these? Why does he tell us that? Well, the question is, who are the mediums and the spiritists and the sorcerers and the mystics and others? Who are they talking to? Are they really talking to your dead uncle? I can tell you emphatically the answer is no. The answer is no. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us something very interesting. It says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In fact, if you read books on this or people tell you about their experiences, it's almost, they almost always talk about seeing a light, right? Or being in the light or light being involved. So there are, Scripture makes it clear, there are demonic spirits who are pretending to be angels of light. And they use deception and they use trickery and, and, and they'll talk about love. And they'll talk about the value of religion. They'll maybe even talk about Jesus in a positive light. They'll impersonate the dead. And their goal is to confuse you, to deceive you, to ultimately lead you astray in the wrong direction or to give people a sense of false security and hope. Isaiah warned in Isaiah chapter 8 that consulting a medium or consulting anyone who's trying to reach out to the dead. Isaiah said, you're, when you do that, you're turning your back on God. You see, trying to contact the dead in any way, shape, or form, even if it's innocent fun, that's an invitation for evil spirits into our life who are pretending to be angels of light. Be careful. Don't go there. All right, what about near-death experiences? Are they real? Can people die and come back to life? This is hard to know a specific matter-of-fact answer from Scripture, frankly, on this one. Here's what we do know. We do know that before Stephen, the Jesus follower, before he died, God gave him a glimpse into heaven. We see that in Acts chapter 7. It was unique because God allowed him to see the throne of heaven uh, right before he actually died. The Apostle Paul seemed to have a similar experience when he talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about how he was caught up in paradise. And some scholars say that that event where he was caught up in paradise was, was based on Acts chapter 14 when Paul was in the city of Lystra the, the, because he was talking about Jesus. They took him outside the city. They took stones and they threw them at him to kill him and they left him for dead. And so some scholars say that that moment when Paul was caught up in paradise was that moment when Paul was left for dead. So while you and I can leave room for these type of experiences, the problem is with near-death experiences that they may or may not 
reflect the true conditions of life beyond death. So, man, you got to be careful and carefully evaluate them to see if they conform to the biblical picture of the afterlife. What do we know? We know that Satan and his demons, that they are certainly going to try to imitate and duplicate the experiences that Stephen and Paul had, that these Christians had, and he's going to try to uh, duplicate that with other people. Why? Because he wants to deceive them. And he's the great liar. And he wants people to believe that there is beauty and bliss and light beyond this life for everybody, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. He wants to give them this false sense that, yeah, all's going to be good for everybody after this life. Again, if anybody claims to see a light or to see the light, just remember, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All right, let's talk about a tough question. Can a person who commits suicide go to heaven? According to the CDC website, which I looked up this week, 1.2 million people attempted suicide in the United States in 2020. It's the leading cause of death in 2020 with 45,979 people who took their life. Did you know that? I mean, that's awful. It's heartbreaking to think of the pain and the hopelessness that somebody is experiencing that would cause them to take their own lives. Looking to the Bible, we see seven examples of people who took their own lives. A few of them had some things that were similar. Abimelech in Judges chapter 9 asked his armor bearer to kill him. Saul fell on his sword. Maybe you know the story of Samson and when God restored his strength one last time, Samson pushed over the pillars of the, of the, of the basically the building he was in, thus killing himself but also killing all of the enemies, the Philistines who were there in that building. And by doing that, he took his own life. So can someone who does such a thing actually spend eternity in heaven? We don't get a direct answer from the Bible. So we really need to look for principles to apply. What do we know? We know that murder is a sin. Taking your own life is murder, so therefore suicide would be a sin. But nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that it's the unpardonable or unforgivable sin. Matthew chapter 12 tells us that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's the unpardonable sin. But Scripture doesn't tell us that about suicide. Today, it's clear from Scripture the only unforgivable sin is refusing to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Suicide is a sin. It's incredibly foolish, but I want you to hear this. It's never, never, ever, ever the answer. There might be somebody here this morning or somebody you know, somebody may be watching online, and you need to know suicide is never the answer, ever. And if you're going there in any way, shape, or form, mentally, emotionally, I would encourage you, man, reach out to somebody. Do it today to me, to others on the staff. We will talk with you. We will pray with you. We want to be for, there for you. It's never the answer, there's hope. There is hope for you. There's a subcategory of people in this topic who might take their own life, who some might call heroes. 
You think about somebody in, in war might jump on a mine or, or a grenade or something to save his or her brother or sister in arms. A parent sees their kid go into the street and sees the car coming and rushes, pushes their kids out of the way, and thus and then that moment, their life is taken. And people say, man, they were a hero. They might even quote Jesus when he said in John 15, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I want us to keep in mind Romans chapter 8. It tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that there's no condemnation with these exceptions. For those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. So while suicide is incredibly foolish, it's a sin, Scripture doesn't seem to indicate that it's not forgivable by God. Okay, next question, when we're in heaven. Are we going to remember our lives on earth? Now, i got to tell you, I sure hope that when I get to heaven, I don't remember everything from my life on earth. And there's some things that I'm hoping other people don't remember as well. Can I get an amen on some of that? Right? Like, there's some things I hope that no one knows. Will we be able to remember? Because there's some things that I'm hoping I absolutely will remember. The Bible doesn't speak directly to this, but there's some different verses that, that can kind of help support different viewpoints. For example, some say we won't remember based on Isaiah 65, which says, Behold, I'll create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Of course, my question is, people who quote that, what are the former things? Are the former things, do they include everything or just some things? Those who say, yes, we're going to remember our lives here on earth, they're going to point to uh, Luke chapter 16. We looked at that uh, a couple weeks ago when Jesus told us about a rich guy who, went, who died and he went to Hades and he went to a place of torment. And he was in this place of torment, but he remembered his brothers on earth and he remembered enough about them to know that the way that they had been living their life, if they didn't change, if they didn't get right with God, then they would end up exactly where he was. People also who say, yeah, we're going to remember at least some things will point to the judgment seat of Christ that we talked about in week one, where Jesus is going to judge us as Christians. Not for salvation, we're saved by Jesus, but we're going to judge us according to the works we did and then give us rewards accordingly. And the reasoning goes, well, if we can remember those works, then surely that means we're going to remember some parts of our lives. Revelation chapter 21 says that one day God will wipe away all the tears from our eyes, and perhaps that's because of the memories that we have here on earth that bring us sadness. My biblical guess is that, yes, we're going to remember some, maybe all, of our lives here on earth. Here's another big one. Can those who died and are, and are in heaven now, who are Christ followers and are with the Lord in heaven, can they see what's happening on earth today? In other words, is, is grandma watching over you? Is she looking down on you, as people say? Those who say yes are going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and they say since we're surrounded by these witnesses, they must see what's happening on earth. But here's my question. Is that really what that verse means? Because there's others, including scholars, who will say that that's not what it means that it means that they are witnesses to the goodness and to the glory of God. 
And so that passage isn't a clear indication of whether or not we will see what happens here on earth. Those who don't think we will see what happens here on earth, well, again, go back to Luke chapter 16, the story of, of Lazarus and the, and the poor man and, and the rich man who went and was in torment, and he was able to remember his brothers and the life they lived, but nowhere in that passage does it indicate that he actually saw what they were currently doing. There's nothing in Scripture that convinces me that believers who have gone before us, that they're actually able to see what's happening here on earth. Now, as we wrap up the questions today and as we wrap up this series, I leave us with the most important question of all to ask. Is there more than one way to get to heaven? Is there more than one way? Religious pluralism dominates our society today. Religious pluralism is the, basically this belief that all, if you're a good person, you have a faith life of any sort, all roads lead to God. Uh, if you're a faith person, that you're going to get to God. If, if you're a sincere person, you're going to get to God. If you're a good person, you're going to get to God. If you're a spiritual person, you'll get to heaven. But Jesus didn't give us that option. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, he said this, he said, I am a way, I'm a truth. Oh, my bad. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 4, Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 4 in one of his early sermons, he said, salvation is found in no one else, and he's talking about Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Many people believe all roads lead to God as long as you're sincere. And what's perhaps most disturbing is a survey that was done that says 57% of evangelical Christians believe that multiple roads lead to God. That's heartbreaking to me because if that's true, that means that over 50% of the people in this room think Jesus isn't the only way. But I hope and pray that's not the case. Because if you believe that there's multiple ways to God that aren't through Jesus, then why would Jesus have had to come? He wouldn't have had to be born. He wouldn't have had to live a sinless life. He wouldn't have had to be crucified and, and resurrected and ascend to the Father. He wouldn't have had to do any of that. But he did that for you and for I because he is the way, the truth, and the life. The most important decision you have right now is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to receive the gift of eternal life. So that one minute after you die, you will wake up in the arms of your heavenly Father and you will be elated beyond your wildest imagination because you don't want to find yourself in a place one minute after you die with absolute terror on your face knowing what in the world did I do or not do. Do you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you want to have the hope of heaven? I want to give you that opportunity right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. The Bible says there's an appointment unto man wants to die and then face judgment. You don't know when that appointment is. Don't wait. Today's your day, the day of salvation. I want to invite all of you to take that step. If you've already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to pray with us again. Some of you are to be your 10th time, 100th time, 10,000th time that you've prayed this. Just saying, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. I invite you. You're in my life. But some of you, you're going to pray this for the very first time. And you're going to say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. And he will. And you will enter the family of God right now, this moment. And you 
will have the hope and the confidence to know that when you die, you will be with your Heavenly Father because Jesus saved you from your sins. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.